Hey everyone, welcome to Wire Talks, the Wire podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether you're a veteran or a crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Correa, work here at Wire. Today I'm joined by Loon Wang, co-founder and CTO of Ren. Loon, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, it's my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the, making the time. And I understand you're in a different time zone. So thanks for just putting this all together. I really appreciate that. Oh, sorry. It's actually quite a reasonable time here. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, so you're joining us from uh, Singapore, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And is the rest of the Ren team in Singapore at the moment? Uh, no. So our team is all around the world at the moment. Actually, we've got a couple here in Singapore. We've got some people in Australia, and we've got some in the the US and the UK as well. Yeah, cool. So why don't we talk about? Let's start by talking about yourself. A little bit of background: how you got into crypto and how you came up with the idea, really, for Ren. Sure. Well, um, I first got interested in, in crypto very briefly in 2012 when I first stumbled across you know, Bitcoin and what was going on there. And I sort of like, I got in a little bit and then I got out a little bit later and um, it kind of gave me a little bit of interest into decentralized networks or distributed networks. At the time, I more was interested in it from, I guess, a political perspective of you know, currency without a government and the fact that that's even possible and that we were seeing it sort of happening. But I, th- I think back then, I didn't really believe it was going to come to anything. And so, I think it did influence some of my studies later on. I went to go on to do some research in the space uh, and to look at different types of distributed systems. I did some research on, on supercomputers, which are sort of massive distributed systems in their own way. And I began to specialize in, in these types of, of networks. And so, at that time, I'd also been working with, with Taiyang, the CEO. Uh, and we'd gone through a couple of ventures together. And in 2017, he approached me with this idea to build a dark pool and to see whether or not you could make one decentralized. And I guess the reason we were interested in that primarily is because we were looking at the space and we were looking at what might be missing from that space in terms of decentralized financial infrastructure. And dark pools were one of those niches. So that's kind of how we got onto to the beginnings of what was then called Republic Protocol when we were exploring building a dark pool. And as we built the underlying technology and realized that it was capable of so much more than, than what we had originally set out to achieve and that it could solve a whole host of other problems, that's when we sort of evolved the protocol a little bit into, into REM as it is today. Yeah, I think this is a great segue because I know the focus of the project is now going a little bit lower in the stack with REN VM, and we're, we're going to touch on that. We're going to really touch on that. But I'm curious to learn what has REN accomplished so far with the REN X, REN the dark pool, right? And how that, how that really precipitated into broadening the scope to REN VM. So let's, let's go and, and kind of back up, right, in history. What is REN X and what are you trying to accomplish with REN X? So originally, we were setting out to just build a decentralized dark pool. And then after sort of several months in, we realized that a better thing to do is to build a dark pool protocol where anyone can build their own dark pool instead of just saying, here's one exchange and a network that's dedicated to just this one exchange, having a network dedicated to any number of exchanges that might want to work in the same way. And Renex became sort of the first dark pool that was going to be built on this protocol and still is. And so the idea with Renex was to sort of show how you might go about building a dark pool on top of the protocol and to act as an example. And once we release the tools for others to go ahead and build their own, it will be something that people can look at and use to inform how they build their own systems. And so we launched Renex sort of alongside the protocol at each stage. So it's very tightly integrated. 
with it. And of course, because we built it, we sort of officially support it. And it's the only one available at this stage. And so when we went to testnet sort of mid to end last year, Renex went to testnet with it. And when we went to mainnet at the end of last year, Renex also went to mainnet alongside it. And sort of Renex is still operating on mainnet now and uses the underlying mainnet protocol to facilitate its dark pool capabilities. Really, it acts as just one example of what an exchange might look like. Yeah, I don't want to spend a ton of time on Renex, but I think Renex is really a demonstration of where privacy really matters in trading, right? And just to back up a little bit and explain to the audience, the dark pool is really like a private trading venue where there's no public order book, right? Orders are just thrown in there by participants and then there's some sort of engine that matches it. There's no order depth chart. There's no info post-trade. And these are really popular in traditional finance if a large institution wants to move like a, a giant block trade without really like impacting the market price. Let's say you're like a pension fund, right? And if you have some sort of stock that you're trying to dump into the market, if you were trying to route that even through some sort of traditional brokerage house and his hits like NASDAQ, then that's going to be a signal to the entire market. So these private trading venues were really popularized in like the late 2000s. And it's funny, they were really popularized in the late decade and then they got really kind of notorious and unpopular just due to some of like the constraints around the structure itself. I think there was a lot of like market manipulation and front running and things like that. If you read Flash Boys by Michael Lewis, this is like the best way to like learn about some of the flaws really in traditional dark pools. So I think that's a great segue into what are really the advantages of building a dark pool on the blockchain? So I guess there's there's two major ones as I see it. One is Obviously, when you decentralize a system like a dark pool, you're taking away the ability for a single central authority to manipulate the rules of the game. So you lay down the rules for the dark pool and you say, even though you can't see the order book, it's going to be a time price prioritized order book and that's how it's going to work. And in the traditional setting where you have a centralized authority that's running this, you can't really tell if they're being honest because you can't see the order book. You don't know if they're playing favorites or if they're front running or if they're manipulating the system. Whereas in a decentralized network, you can be confident that that's not possible and that there is no one that's sort of taking advantage of the information asymmetry that there is because the operator of the dark pool, in this case, the network itself, actually has no more information than anyone else. The second key advantage is actually something that I think is unique to the crypto world. And it's not something that gets talked about much. If you imagine sort of a post-privacy world where we figured privacy out and we can use our crypto assets the way that a lot of us would like to, to purchase goods or to use them with certain products, having that privacy is not much good if I don't have a place where I can exchange my, my tokens in a way that is also private. If I hide all my assets, but then I go to a, a, an order book and I reveal that I'm trying to buy some amount of Bitcoin for rent then I've kind of implicitly revealed my assets and my intent. Whereas if I can go to a dark pool and do that in secret, it's not necessarily about avoiding market impact or making a huge trade. It's just about keeping privacy end-to-end. -end. And the reason that doesn't exist in the traditional world or that need doesn't exist is because all of my sort of financial details are already kept hidden and you can trust or you presume to trust a central authority to keep all that information anonymous and secret anyway. So you don't have that same kind of need. Whereas right now, even if we had privacy on all of our assets on, on the blockchain, 
there's no decentralized place to exchange those assets without kind of implicitly revealing what you're holding. Yeah, I think the pre, you know, conception of RenVM version of RenX was really a good step forward to accomplishing the ideal and perfect dark pool. But at the end of the day, you want end-to-end privacy, right? Even if you're submitting an order to one of these nodes, you want to make sure that those addresses aren't able to be, you know, looked up easily and then people can actually verify what kind of tokens that you're holding or, you know, maybe try to ascertain what kind of marketplace participant you are. And also like the nodes themselves, they can essentially have access to some info, I think, you know, uh, since orders are being routed through them, right? So what are these limitations that you ran into in the first version of RenX that really precipitated the development of RenVM? So to clarify something there, the dark nodes actually don't get any information about the orders mm-hmm. at any point Oh, cool! in order to perform the order matching. But in the initial version of the protocol, we hadn't yet seen a good solution for cross-chain private exchange. So once you have an order match and you have some party A and some party B and they know that they want to trade with each other, it's still good that you couldn't see their initial orders in the order book because you prevent moving the market unfavorably against you when you reveal your intent. But now that it comes to settle that trade, now that's public on the underlying blockchains and so you can see what they originally wanted to do. So there's a limitation to the amount of privacy that you get. You get privacy with your intent, but you don't get privacy with the actual settlement. And that was the first and and the major thing that we really wanted to solve was how can we get privacy end-to-end from the moment that you submit the order to the moment that you have those funds settled, that that whole process should be completely private. Another thing that we were trying to achieve, which I suppose we can touch on a little later, is when you're working cross-chain, how can you guarantee that settlement is going to happen? It's very difficult to take the rules of smart contracts on one blockchain and use that smart contract to enforce behavior on another blockchain. And in fact, we believe it's impossible to do that without something like RenVM. Yep. We're going to dive really deep into RenVM in a second, but just for the audience, because I know later there'll be a lot of parallels with how the mechanism really behind RenVM, but what is the mechanism for order matching in RenX? What kind of cryptographic primitives are you using? And, you know, I believe there's a token system as well. So as far as RenX is concerned, there's not really a token system that the users have to consider. RenX pays fees to the network in order to use it. But the cryptographic primitives that we use are actually quite simple. It's just a a plain Shamir secret sharing. So the user rocks up at the website, they construct the order that they would like to submit, and then they Shamir secret share it locally within the browser. And they send those Shamir secret shares out. Uh, Shamir secret shares out to all of the dark nodes in the network. And then the dark nodes use a secure multi-party computation to collaboratively discover whether or not there's a match in the pool. Yep. Let's define that for the audience for a second. So secure multi-party computation, what, what exactly is that? So to understand that, I guess it's really important to understand secret sharing. The basic idea behind secret sharing can be thought of, I like to think about it as lines. So if I have some secret that I don't want people to know about. I can put it on a line, let's say at x equals zero. And then I want to share that secret with a bunch of people such that they don't discover the secret. But if enough of them get together, I can reconstruct it and and get it back. And the way that you do that is you make a complicated line that's a high degree polynomial. And you just pick a whole bunch of points on that line. And you give those points out to different people. Now, that point, if you have it by, by itself, 
doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't correlate to the original secret. It doesn't correlate to any of the other points on the line. And until you get enough points on the line, you can't actually reconstruct it and you don't get any closer to being able to do that. And then suddenly, once you have enough points, depending on how complicated the line is, you can reconstruct the line in full. And being able to reconstruct the line in full means that you can look at, let's say, x equals zero and be like, aha, there is the secret. Now, one of the interesting consequences of doing it this way is that you can manipulate these lines on a point-by-point basis and end up manipulating that secret without ever actually revealing the secret. So, a simple way is to, to, to see that at work is to take two lines and you sort of add them together. And point-wise, these two lines sum at any one place and you get this kind of third line and everyone has points on this, this third line. And if you were to reveal that third line, you would see the two original secrets added together as well. And so, despite no one actually having access to these original secrets, they can still perform addition. And similarly, you can perform multiplication. And then from addition and multiplication, you can build logic gates and you can build all sorts of logical computations such as less than or equal to computations, standard arithmetic. And of course, with a less than or equal to operation, you can build sorting algorithms. And with sorting algorithms, you can build order books. And so that's kind of how uh, we build the order book inside our protocol using secure multi-party computation. Mm-hmm. And what percentage of these fragments need to be pieced together to actually try to take action, right? Actually like find a match. So that's completely parameterizable. You can make it whatever you like. So if you imagine a flat line, just two points will do. Now, if two points will do, you can give out 100 points and now you have sort of two out of 100. Uh, or you can give out three points and now you have two out of three. Or you can pick a higher degree polynomial, you know, a more complicated line, something that requires 10 points to get together and reconstruct this whole line. And then you can say 10 out of however many points you like. And so that's kind of something that we're really focusing on is, is letting applications pick between the security parameters they want, the liveliness parameters they want, and of course, the performance parameters that they want. The trade-off is is the same as with every decentralized system, which is the more secure you are, the slower you are. So the, the more points you have on the line, sort of the longer it takes to to get a computation done. Okay, I think I follow. What about nodes colluding together to either match an order that they want to be matched or front run or things like that? How do you de-incentivize that kind of bad behavior? So that's where our staking token comes into play. So with 100,000 REN, you can bond that REN into a smart contract and sort of claim a dark node identity and use that identity into the network to talk to other dark nodes. And if you don't have an identity like this, the dark nodes will just simply ignore you and users won't give you shares of their secret. Now, in terms of the correctness of the computation, you can cryptographically detect whether or not someone has attempted to lie. For example, to claim that they think two orders of matching even though they're not. And if you can detect such behavior, you can punish them on chain and slash their bond and so they lose that stake. So there's a, you know, a financial incentive not to do this, especially when you consider that this correctness is kind of done on a gate by gate basis. So, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of gates in a simple order matching computation and any one of them that you try to lie about to even subtly influence the outcome, you'd get pulled up on with very high probability. So the cost of such an attack, just to say that two orders don't match if they do or to say that they do even if they don't is quite high. And the financial requirement to create these identities prevents a malicious adversary from kind of accruing a huge number of these identities in order to have a high likelihood of 
getting enough shares that they can reconstruct the secret and reveal the underlying information. What about geographic latency sort of constraints? Are there any constraints about how distributed the actual nodes need to be in a geographic sense? I mean, in a geographic sense, the more distributed they are, the more safe the network is from from failures in any one geographic location. The software that we have to help people set up their dark nodes will randomly pick a location somewhere in the world. And so our, I think we have about 250 dark nodes running right now are fairly evenly distributed around different data centers on different cloud providers all over the world. Okay. So let's talk about RenVM. What is RenVM? What, what are you hoping to accomplish that RenX could not hear? So what happened with RenVM was that when we originally built our secure multi-party computation for our dark pool protocol, it was very bespoke. It was not general, and it was really optimized for the case of, of auto matching. And we wanted to experiment with other techniques or other things that we might be able to do that could give us more features or give us faster results, anything like that. And in order to do that, we built this kind of testbed technology where we could play around and build things. And what we ended up with was this virtual machine that could do any kind of computation possible, any general purpose compute. Uh, and that was convenient for us for testing because it meant that we could test anything. We had no idea what we were going to experiment with. That's the nature of, I guess, research. And when we sort of had this thing, we realized, well, we can use this to solve all of the other problems that we have with our dark pool, to have private settlement, to have guaranteed forced settlement and resolve the free free option problem that exists with atomic swaps. And so we took that experimental testbed and, and we matured it and made it more production ready. And that became RenVM. And so the Ren virtual machine ended up as this general purpose virtual machine that could do any kind of computation as a secure multi-party computation. And then we migrated RenX over to that. So now instead of using the old sort of bespoke auto matching system, RenX is now migrating to use RenVM directly. Yep, I can see how it really opens up the different use cases that can be built. Is there still a focus though on finance? Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Our focus is really, we talk about it as sort of private interoperable liquidity. Yeah, and you already do a lot of interesting work in the cross-chain atomic uh, swap space. First of all, let's talk about your particular solution for doing atomic swaps between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I'd love to learn about how this compares to, let's say, for example, what Suma is working on if you've been following their yeah. uh, stateless SPV work. So our system, it's not special. Oh, what we, what we use for atomic swaps is not particularly special, technically speaking. It's a pretty standard, I would say, implementation of hash time lock contracts and using those to do atomic swaps. And Swapper D, which is our tool that we have developed for users, can support any two pairs of blockchains as long as both of them support hash time lock contracts. So obviously Ethereum and Bitcoin both do that. Um, and we're going to be introducing new pairs over the coming months. You know, Litecoin and, and Zcash and all the Bitcoin variants are obvious candidates. Now, what makes, I guess, Swapper D unique is just our approach to the user experience. So being able to download and install this wallet that runs on your system in the background and automatically handles all of the complicated steps inside an atomic swap. Handling all the initialization, all of the refunding logic, all of the redemption, and configuring it all and communicating with the counterparty on the other side and ensuring that everything is set up as expected. 
and then providing a nice, simple interface for developers and, of, of course, users to actually interact with this technology. So from the perspective of the user, when you use Swapid to execute trades on Renex, it really feels like a normal wallet. It feels like you're using something like MetaMask. And from the developer's perspective, it also feels like you're developing against something just as simple as MetaMask. Yep. From my understanding, it seems that RenVM is what you did with RenX and with orders you're doing now with data and computation, right? Are there new sort of cryptographic primitives that you have to use to get that kind of accomplished? I wouldn't say that they're, they're new. We've taken sort of the modern secure multi-party computation techniques and we've improved upon them a lot to make them more suitable for a decentralized setting. But the underlying cryptographic primitives aren't new cryptographic primitives. A lot of it's still based on simple techniques like Shamir secret chain, you know, and commitments, hashes, simple RSA cryptography to make sure you're sending data around in such a way that only one person can see it. We haven't had to sort of invent anything, anything super crazy in that space. Mm-hmm. A lot of these different methods take up a lot of gas, right? And are computationally intensive. Mm-hmm. How, how have you made things a little bit more efficient with the implementation in RenVM? So RenVM doesn't really require anything to happen on any particular blockchain anymore. So when you open an order or you want to use RenVM, you don't have to spend gas on Ethereum or another blockchain. You can just interact with RenVM directly. And the methods by which the dark nodes achieve consensus about what it is that they want to do, how they progress through the, the stages of the multi-party computation is very similar to the Tenement algorithm in that sort of it's immediately final and it doesn't involve like an immense amount of hashing power. And we also take our network and we, we break it up into these little shards so that A, we can make the computation more efficient, but also B, we can make it cheaper because it involves less dark nodes at any, any one time. If RenX is the top layer of the stack, the application layer, and RenVM is uh, closer to the bottom of the protocol layer, are there any sort of like middleware that you had to build out to accomplish that connectivity? So we had to build a couple of things. I guess one of the first things that we had to build was just a peer-to-peer communication layer so that the dark nodes could discover each other and talk to each other. I would say that and, and the smart contract layer so that dark nodes could register themselves and, and discover each other's identities and get paid for the work that they do. But I wouldn't really call that middleware. I would kind of actually put it even further under RenVM. You know, if you have a, a blockchain layer where you can identify parties and a networking layer where you can send information to everyone and broadcast it efficiently and, and securely, then on top of that, you build RenVM. And then there's a couple layers of what you might think of as pre-compiled contracts for RenVM. And then on top of that, you can build RenX or any other dark pool that you might want to build. So those layers are there to say, you know, here's a default implementation of an order book. Here's a way to move funds between chains. Here's a way to keep your settlement private. And you could use those techniques for various things, but you could, can bring them all together and use them to build a dark pool. So how does the REN token fit into all of this, the new scope of the project? So the REN token hasn't changed much since, since the inception. It's the bonding token. So you need 100,000 REN to create a dark node and that's it. That entitles your dark node to participate in the network and perform work. And in exchange for that work and the contribution of resources to the virtual machine, it's paid a fee from the users. But that fee is not paid in REN, just to, to clarify that. Okay, okay. 
I think those are a lot of my hard questions out of the way. So let's all take a deep breath here. Uh, let's move <laughs> on to the product roadmap, right? So there yep. are a lot of components that you have to develop to enable this end-to-end privacy solution. What have you developed already and what's what's coming next? So we have developed the fundamentals of, of RenVM. So that sort of bottom layer of the stack, all the networking, all the smart contracts, and the dark node software that kind of brings it all together into this, this virtual machine. And that's, that's done. So, and, that, and that's deployed right, right now. And on top of that, at the very top of the stack, we have RenX, which has now we've got um, a version of it that's fully migrated to the RenVM and is using it to, to do its auto matching. What we're working on right now is those middle layers so that we can actually take dark pools and let them do settlement in private and, and interoperably. So these are the focuses for us right now at a technical level. Our real core focus right now is getting private keys inside RenVM, letting them be generated there and letting them sign transactions there, which allows RenVM to kind of act as a user on any given blockchain. And that's a really powerful thing and allows some really awesome features, specifically allows a better type of cross-chain trading that can't fail in the same way that an atomic swap can fail. And it also allows transactions to sort of happen in, in total privacy and to happen faster, which are some of the the key features that we've been trying to unlock for, for a year now. And we're quite a way through that. We've actually made a lot of progress a lot faster than, than we thought we were going to make. And yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're up to, uh, technically speaking. For the ideal product, how long do you think the development uh, would take? <laughs> <laughs> we're really hesitant to give concrete timelines about that because a lot of the work that we do is very sort of research and development centric and requires a lot of precision and a lot of auditing to make sure you get it right. And realistically, it's just impossible to, to track how much time that's going to take because you don't know what might come up in an audit. You don't know necessarily the full limitations of your technology until you explore them and go build things. We're very confident that this year will be the year of, of interoperability between blockchains. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It seems like the scope of the project is quite broad. Like you're, you're tackling a lot of different things, right? You're trying to build an end-to-end privacy solution. You're trying to have an interoperability solution and then trying to demonstrate all this with a, an application layer as well. How do you manage to stay on top of all these different things? Is, are there partnerships that you can leverage to, you know, not reinvent the wheel? So we are leveraging some partnerships with other projects. Uh, we recently announced our, our partnership with the Aztec protocol. This kind of eliminates one layer of complexity from the system where you can keep assets on chain on Ethereum or other smart contracting blockchains potentially and still keep your assets private and let them move around. I would say that the broadness of the project is almost coincidental. So we're still really focused on on this idea of private interoperable liquidity and, and all of that culminates into dark pools and exchanges and different ways of doing exchange. And obviously, if you want the most liquidity, then you want to be able to do cross-chain trading. And if you want even more liquidity through various use cases and keeping people comfortable with the amount of information they're exposing, the privacy of the transactions is required as well. But the technology that it takes to build any one of these components kind of coincidentally gives you the technology you need to build all of the other ones without much extra fuss. And it just so turns out that you can then go ahead and use that to build anything you like. We're not really focusing on that anything you like side of things where you can build any kind of program that you like on RenVM. It is certainly possible and it's something that we'll explore after we've achieved our, our goals. But we're still very focused on, on that idea of trading and trading privately. And a key part of that is privacy and interoperability and, and increased liquidity.
really I've got to give it to my technical team, especially my lead developers. I think they, they all have their particular parts of the project that they're responsible for and they do an awesome job of managing it all and, and keeping it under wraps. I think if you assemble a solid team of developers, then um, you can tackle something of this kind of scope as long as you keep your heads down and, and stay focused. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about your go-to-market strategy. When the time comes and you have this virtual machine that has uh, unstoppable privacy uh, capabilities, who are you going to market this to? How are you going to encourage people to build on top of RenVM? So I guess that happens in a couple ways. The first way, which is something that we're already doing, is to approach the various blockchains and tokens and the companies that sort of back them uh, or are the major maintainers of them in the case of the highly decentralized tokens and making sure that when you want to bridge these tokens across to various chains that what we're building is actually in aligned with what those projects would really want to see and gaining their support to say this is the bridge to use you know if you want to use x token on ethereum this is the one to go for because something that can be very dangerous is that if you build 10 different types of bridges for let's say bitcoin onto ethereum then your liquidity can be fragmented amongst these all these different variants. You know, you, you might have A Bitcoin, B Bitcoin, and C Bitcoin, and they each share one third of the Bitcoin liquidity on Ethereum. And ideally, they're all just one, and all the liquidity is consolidated. So the first step is getting these these projects together to support the bridge and to make sure that it meets the kind of security requirements that their blockchains are already meeting. The second one is to go to the decentralized finance projects that really want to use these tokens and letting them know that they exist creating interfaces that can easily hook into their products. You know, you've got all this open finance movement, which has birthed a lot of really cool projects over the last six months and have seen them really come to fruition. More recently, things like, you know, MakerDAO, Dharma, Compound, Uniswap, Kyber, all these guys are making awesome progress and could seriously benefit from the increased liquidity and increased usability of being able to have those products work with tokens and other blockchains. So going to these projects and, and talking to them and sort of getting them on board with that is is the second part. And the third part is really just educating the community about what is RenVM, how does it work, getting people to run dark nodes because obviously the more dark nodes there are, the more secure the network is. And that's kind of our, our approach. Yeah. How would you try to integrate this tech into existing liquidity pools like Uniswap, for example? Uniswap has a lot of the liquidity in the DeFi system, at least from our trading perspective. How do you think about yeah. trying to tap into some of the wins that they've had? That's something that we are absolutely looking to do. 100%. The very first step of that is making sure that your bridge tokens meet something like an ERC-20 standard. That's, you know, once you have that, then the majority of, of projects out there can integrate with this bridged token trivially. There's a more complicated question that goes beyond that, which is, would any of these projects stand to gain something by migrating their technology onto RenVM directly? For example, there's something to be said for a lending platform where the amount that's being lended, the amount that's being borrowed, someone's debt, all of that is kept private as well, instead of just benefiting from interoperability. So, you know, there's those kinds of questions, but they're going to come a lot later down the track for us. The first step is absolutely tapping into the existing DeFi space and to the liquidity that projects like Uniswap have garnered. Yeah. How do you think about approaching the traditional market makers in the space, the Cumberlands, the circles of the world, where there's really a need for a dark pool, right? Even at Wire, we run a desk and we were really excited about the REN project because it's it's just a definite source of uh, liquidity or it will be in the future, right? How do you think about the go-to-market strategy with the desk? So 
we've maintaining quite good relationships with these desks and getting a lot of feedback from them about exactly what is it are they looking for in a product that they're willing to pipe a lot of liquidity through. And for us, the strategy is really just collecting that feedback and ensuring the layers that we're building at that application layer above RenVM, kind of where Renex is sitting, the products that exist there, ensuring that they really meet the features that these desks want. And one of the things that's really come out of that has been usability, not just performance and privacy and, and decentralization, but where can I keep my funds? You know, everyone has a different custodial system and making sure that trading can happen from any of those directly is a real key thing that's come out. But yeah, that's kind of, that's our approach at the moment. Yeah, uh, more to come there, I suppose. Let's talk about the competitive landscape. Are there any other projects that are trying to tackle this end-to-end privacy solution? Yes and no. So I guess there are projects that are tackling different parts of it in different ways, and all of them have their merits in different ways. So the the simplest ones to look at are the other interoperability solutions, because that's one of the key components of end-to-end liquidity. Cosmos recently launched on Mainnet. Uh, I'm a huge fan of their work. You've got projects like Polkadot, which are very similar in their sort of high-level concept. These projects try and achieve interoperability by defining a protocol. And if your blockchain admits that protocol, then it will be interoperable with all the other blockchains that admit that protocol. However, that doesn't really work for projects like Ethereum or Bitcoin that don't obey those protocols because they were built long before they existed. And so then there are other ideas like, you know, multi-signature federations, but they're really limited in the number of parties that can participate. So they're not seriously decentralized. Then on the privacy front, from a transactional perspective, you have projects like Aztec that are doing on-chain privacy and on-chain private exchanging. We really see those as complementing to us. If you can take care of the privacy stuff on-chain and maintain all of the same security guarantees as the chain is maintaining, then that's really, really awesome and something that RenVM can really leverage. Then the other competitors, projects like Keep Network, OneChain, and Enigma, these guys that are also taking an approach to privacy using secure multi-party computation. And then you have other projects still like NewCypher that are using techniques like homomorphic encryption to tackle it in that way. But all of these solutions, uh, the homomorphic encryption sort of category of privacy is somewhat restricted in the types of computations you can do. For example, you can't take a private key and have it controlled by an entire network because you still have individual nodes doing entire sets of computations and they can make progress by themselves. And other projects that are using SMPC, they really struggle to identify one of the key problems with modern SMPC, which is that a single node failure in your compute will take the entire computation offline. And you know, in a decentralized network, that's impractical to assume that's not going to happen. And yeah. even if you replicate it 10, 20, 100 times, the likelihood that that's still going to happen at least once in every single one of those pools throughout the course of the computation is very high. What about uh, potentially Ethereum going up the stack and introducing native privacy functionality? Is that something that keeps you up at night? Yeah, it does because I get really excited about it. It was awesome to see uh, Stark decks sort of launched their demonstration recently about how to sort of take a, a DEX and put all that work inside a stock and put it on chain. Obviously, it's a scalability solution, but also a privacy solution. That doesn't concern me. The reason for that is that those types of privacy are very different. When it comes to zero-knowledge proofs, which is the type of privacy being explored on chain with something like Ethereum, they always require one person, the prover, to know everything. And that prover knows everything. They can do all the transitions that they need to do, and they kind of 
prove to the rest of the world, the rest of the blockchain, that I did everything correctly and therefore not having to expose any of the information they used. But they still needed to know everything. So in the case of, let's say, a dark pool, if you wanted to try and mimic a dark pool with something like a ZK snark or a ZK stark, the operator of the dark pool would need to know all of the orders, which kind of subverts the whole point. So to put it simply, I guess, the kind of privacy solutions you see going onto blockchains directly in the form of ZK proofs, they're for single parties. They're not for multiple parties where you have lots of different users interacting in different ways. Mm-hmm. What's the current regulatory strategy for a fully private Red X? Is that conceivably, it's something that regulators uh, might be a little afraid of, just potential money laundering issues kind of come to mind. How do you think through tackling the regulatory front? So with Renex, as our specific dark pool, we, we take KYC very seriously. We absolutely don't endorse any kind of illegal activity. And we don't want to see that methodology sort of bleed down into the entire protocol. So to use the protocol at all doesn't require KYC in the same way that you don't need KYC to deploy a smart contract onto Ethereum uh, or to run an Ethereum node. But if you decide to build a product on RenVM, it's ultimately up to you to decide what kind of regulation you're going to adhere to. And that's because we can't build regulation into a protocol. Regulation is always changing, and it's different depending on where you are. You know, An exchange that's operating on Ethereum in, in one country has very different obligations to one operating in another country. And they also want to make very different decisions. Some may want to take a more chilled out approach to regulation, and some may want to take a really strict approach because they offer even more hardcore features. And so really, our approach is just allowing people to be flexible in the kind of regulation that they're going to apply their products. And our specific products like Renex, we uh, adhere to to the regulation that we're required to. But I think the more general question about privacy and regulation, especially in the blockchain ecosystem, is a really interesting thing to think about. And, and I actually think that governments and regulators shouldn't be afraid of this. They should really be embracing it. Because for the first time in, in financial history, I can prove unequivocally that I did my tax correctly. I can, without necessarily having to reveal to you how much I made, where I made it from, you know, what the different avenues of my income are, I can still prove that, that I paid the right amount of tax according, in accordance with, with the law. And that's a really powerful thing. You haven't previously been able to do that. People talk about how crypto is cash and therefore it's, you know, like you can money launder and all this kind of stuff, but you could do that with normal cash. This is the first time we see cash where it's possible to not do that and to prove that you haven't done that. And of course, you know, the example of tax is one, one area. But you can take that same idea and there's hope there to actually empower regulators and governments using privacy, not strangle them. And I think all the different privacy projects that are working right now really should get together and make that obvious and make that known to lawmakers because I don't think they know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost about forming some sort of think tank or group to approach the lawmakers and and, yeah. and push the industry forward. That's something that really lies with entrepreneurs, right? It's, uh, it's, it's something that all entrepreneurs have to face at the end of the day. It's very interesting. So final couple of questions for me. Let's fast forward 12 to 18 months and RenVM is, is fully end-to-end complete. What do you hope that people will build on RenVM? I hope that we'll see an ecosystem where you can interact with decentralized finance products and products from the open finance movement and not even realize that you're using bridges. Just be able to trade or take advantage of these identity platforms, credit platforms, trading platforms, lending, collateralization, all of these types of products that we see coming out now 
and interact with them with any blockchain and not even necessarily know which blockchain you're interacting with or understand whether or not your Bitcoin is getting converted behind the scenes into a format that's that's compatible with this particular product. And creating this liquid structure where we start breaking down the silos that we've created over the last couple of years where products work in their own little world, but they don't really know how to talk to anyone else. I think that's where we will finally begin to see real user adoption. Because until I have privacy, I can't feasibly use my crypto in the real world because I don't want to reveal everything about my financial nature. That's a, that's a fairly reasonable thing that users want to keep private. But also, the barriers to using blockchain are so high. You know, If you wanted to use this huge amount of products that are going to be coming out in the next couple of years, you need so many different types of tokens and so many different types of wallets and so many different types of keys. And you need to understand the constraints of all these different systems. When you see true privacy and true interoperability, we can finally take those down and users can just rock up and use the system like they would a normal system and still gain all of the awesome advantages that blockchain has to offer. And I hope that we can start that journey 12 to 18 months from now as an industry. And we already see a lot of movements in sort of the UX space, but there are some fundamental barriers there that I think privacy and interrupt will tackle. Mm -hmm. I can understand the scope of Red VM being focused on private finance in the future. And, and that might be because Ethereum at this point in time, it's very much a proper settlement layer for a lot of financial primitives, and that could be the prime use case for Ethereum. In the future, if uh, Ethereum is tackling other use cases, do you envision RenVM being extensible enough to sustain those kind of use cases outside of finance? Yeah, I, I do. So what we're building right now and the way we're designing the protocol right now is in anticipation of moving away from finance one day if the need arises uh, as, as the core focus of the product. All of the features and, and components that we're building into RenVM are very focused on private finance, but there's nothing intrinsic about the protocol that says this will only work for financial use cases. And that's a change that we've had to make since you know the protocol was focused solely on dark pools. You could make those kinds of assumptions, but we've abandoned those assumptions from, from RenVM. And so if we see in 12 months that the next biggest thing and the one that's really going to take over on blockchain is personal sovereign identity and, and keeping your data, you know, this is one thing that, you know, gets thrown around a lot in the blockchain in terms of one of the things it can be used for, although we haven't really seen that materialized. If that does start materializing and starts becoming really solid use case, people are still going to need privacy. People are still going to need to store their data and have that data accessible on it, all the different types of blockchains. So you have interoperability of information and privacy of information. And RenVM will be able to tackle those. Yeah, that's awesome. So last sort of, well, it's not really a question, but how many people on the team right now and uh, any sort of roles that you're looking to hire for that you want to advertise on the show? We're not looking for any key roles right now. I think we have just over a dozen full-time team members. The majority of those are developers, but we have you know a handful of uh, comms guys, speedy guys, and, and marketing guys sort of situated in the US and the UK. But I suppose as we start expanding and as we start marketing more heavily, which we're beginning to do and getting the word out there, um, these kinds of roles will start popping up. And, and at that point, we'll be reaching out to our community members. And we've already got a whole bunch of really awesome guys in our community that, that help out and push the message out there and, and provide support to each other, which is, is really what we're hoping to do to keep the team slim because that means that we have a really solid runway to make sure this product is going to get over the finish line and we do have that but also we're not looking to make some big central company 
that owns Ren. We really want it to be as decentralized in every aspect as possible. And certainly, the government governance and the development is very centralized around our company right now. But the more roles we add, the more that happens and the harder it becomes to break that down. I see. So where can people get in touch with you, Lung, or read about the work that you're doing? I would encourage people to jump onto either our Twitter or our Telegram is our most active community uh, and also our, our Reddit community, the Rent Project subreddit. That's where kind of all the action happens on those three communities and where we release the majority of our news. And we've got some awesome community members there that really answer everyone's questions and help people out, whether it be setting up a dark node or just wanting to learn more about the project. And of course, you can check out our website and download our, our light paper or check out some of the blogs on our, on our medium. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Loon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about Ren, check out the show notes, including your podcast, and remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or the Wire blog, whatever works for you. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again for listening.